Hey, Craig, what happened to Sloan Stevens, brother? Uh, pretty much what you said would happen. <laughs> First round defeat. I got to tell you, this is This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons, also known as The Flash. He's Craig Doyle. You can find me over at Twitter, on Twitter, at Cash with Flash. And Craig, you are CD Media, right? At CD Media, right? Mm, almost at oh, CD boy. Sports Media. CD You'll get there one week. No, I'm going to get there before the end of this damn show because I'm, I'm writing it down now. But I got to tell you, this has been fun doing the show. Again, with you, I had a lot of great feedback from the show. You can find us on iTunes and TuneIn Radio, and you can find us just about anywhere where podcasts are delivered to your podcast catcher of choice. And Sloan Stevens, listen to this. Uh, let's start with the ladies. Uh, look at this. Petra, Petra Kitova, out. Sloan Stevens, out. Strykova, out. Kerber, out. Suarez, Navarro, out. Mogaruza, out. I mean, it, it goes on and on and on and on and on. There's a whole bunch of them. You got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven seeds out in the women's side of things, and we haven't even started round three yet. Yeah, and I think that just goes to show that um, the, the women's draw, as we said last week, is highly unpredictable. Um, and it's not just at the U.S. Open. It's at every tournament, every slam. You get different winners every week on tour. You get different first-time Grand Slam champions. Um, I, I was a little bit disappointed there. You missed out one of my favorites, which is um, Eugenie Bouchard, who just now turns up for the first round after having uh, that, that year. Maybe, I think maybe it was 2014, 2015, where she reached like two, three Grand Slam finals, and now she just uh, shows up for the first round to lose to, well, pretty much anyone. Well, I was just uh, mentioning the seeded players. I, I, I wasn't aware she was seeded this tournament. No, probably not. I mean, she's probably not been seated for a while, but uh, I, I think it's a, a good example of, you know, what happens. These girls, one day they're in finals, um, you know, Muguruza, um, players like that, they win Grand Slams, and then the next day they, they turn up and they just can't seem to win a match. In fact, I don't think Muguruza's won a match since possibly the French Open this year. Nope, she hasn't. And, you know, the one that didn't surprise me, I, I, I'll tell you what, I thought Kerber would go further. Then she did, uh, not much further, but further. But let's be honest, uh, Sloane Stevens didn't even look like she wanted to be there. You know, she walked on the court. She did her little smile and her little pirouette, which she's never going to become a ballerina. That's for sure. But at the end of the day, I was not surprised at all. I wasn't even surprised that she didn't put up a fight. Yeah, it's you know, it, it seems to be that way with a lot of the girls. So, I mean, she's not... One of the only ones, I guess, like she's high profile because she's she's won before. She's American, um, Grand Slam winners, a, a lot of like uh, home support for her. So you know, if you can't get up for the fight in your own Grand Slam in your own backyard, I, I guess what hope is there for the future? But you look around the the women in this tournament and a lot of these high profile seeds that you've mentioned and. Uh, you know, there just seems to be a little bit of a spark missing. There seems to be a little bit of a... It's almost like they go on a run where they, they just don't win a few matches and then all of a sudden it turns into a massive slump. And uh, unfortunately, you tend to find like very few of these women over the past five years, ten years have been able to turn that round. I mean, 
Kvitova is probably the, the one on the list that you've mentioned that's kind of stayed really, really high profile. Like Samukaruza, she's just really been a massive fall from grace. Sloane Stevens has gone that way. Um, you know, you got a question, Grand Slam winners recently, is, is Ash Barty going to go that way? Is it going to be a similar thing for her? I mean, she's still in, you know. Um, it, it's really, really such a strange thing with the women that they, they seem to have this, like, spell where they're really hot and then they just have this spell where they go really cold and you got to have concerns for Naomi Osaka, right? Well, yeah, you know, she. I watched her match today and Kobe Bryant was in the, in the box as, well, as was Colin Kaepernick. They were in her box cheering her on. I guess her boyfriend's some rapper. I don't know who he is, but they were there to support her. She, you know, with her, she almost looks like she's scared to play. And she looks unhappy when she plays. Do you get that feeling, that vibe from her? Because I do. Yeah, I do as well. And I think a lot of it comes down to weight of expectation. I think um, I mentioned last week on the show a little bit that the WTA product are looking for the next big star, you know, the, the big breakout, the new Serena Williams, new Maria Sharapova. They're looking for someone who is going to be on the posters, um, you know, that global brand ambassador that's going to get out sponsorship deals. And when these girls win a Grand Slam, I think the pressure goes on them to win another one and then another one and then another one. And Osaka kind of bucked the trend because she won two in a row. A lot of these girls, they just win one and they disappear. Um, and, and I think after winning two in a row, the expectation went on her at uh, coming into the summer period where, where she was at Roland Garros, where she's been at Wimbledon. And, you know, there was a lot of expectation that she might just go and do something at one of those slams and become the next sort of global phenomenon in women's tennis. But, uh, you know, the, the pressure's gotten to her and it's not happening. Well, you know what I think it is? I think a lot of it has to do with the money that they win when they do win a major. That's life-changing money. They don't have to ever work again if they're smart. Five million bucks, four million bucks, three million bucks is a lot of money for a 22-year-old or 21-year-old. Okay, it gets cut up a bit between her agent and all these other things, but that's a lot of dough. And then they go out and do things because, you know, they're they're kind of famous now. And, and they go to the clubs and they start hanging out and they find boyfriends and they get distracted. I think that has a lot to do with it. The, you know, I, I see this all the time. You know why horses have those blinders on to keep them from getting distracted. And these majors, you know, coupled with the fact that the WTA is seeking those type of players, that next poster, you know what? That's a big distraction. And when you have distractions in tennis in any sport, a la Colin Kaepernick, you know, you go by the wayside quick. Especially in tennis as well, because it's not a team sport. You can't go and, you know, just coast along. You can't hide for a bit. You can't go on the bench for a bit. You know, you're out there. If you're not performing, you disappear very, very quickly. Very quickly, and that's a hard thing. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose something to you. I think that uh, this young lady named Coco Goff is the one that they want to promote. I saw an interview with Patrick Mortoglu, who is, owns the academy, I'm hesitant to call him a coach, but uh, who owns the academy, the academy where Coco now trains, and he's had her there for years. And there's a rule that she can't play that many matches at age 15. She can't play a full schedule till she's 18, and he's against it. And the reason he's against it is because, you know, he wants to recoup some of that cash he spent all those years. But uh, what do you think? Now, Craig, we got this rule out there that they can only play so many matches. 
so many events at age 15. Do you think that the ITF should uh, throw that out or the WTA should overrule that and uh, allow her to play? No, I actually don't. I'm actually quite in favor of it. I, I think, um, you know, you see so many of these young girls coming through, they, they sparkle age 20, 21, 22, and then by like 23, 24, they're gone. You know, career almost over. I, I don't want to just keep drawing attention to Eugenie Bouchard, but, uh, <laughs> you know, she came, in, she came in early. She's she done, she almost got the business done. She got to a lot of slam finals. The, the riches were there, the, the sponsorships were there, she had the look that they were warning for the poster girl thing, and then all of a sudden it just burns out real quickly. And I worry about, you know, if you bring kids in at 15, 16, and you have them out there every week, they're playing, uh, what do you want to say, 15, 20 tournaments a year, maybe more, because um, you know what kids are like, they're eager to play every week. Um I think you could burn someone out so, so quickly. And I, I really do think that they need to be pretty protective of her. They, they should, you know, push her towards entering the slams, going through the qualifying route, um, you know, maybe let her in a couple of the, the U.S. hardcore series events, um, build her profile up, but uh, keep her keen. Keep her, keep her for a few years' time, you know. Let her come in maybe about 17 and start playing more and more tournaments. But... Uh, I feel schedule. I think you would just end up with um, a player like that age getting burned out too quickly. And I think she'd be done by the time she's 21, 22. You know, she'd be struggling. Life on the tour isn't easy. It's, it's hard work. Oh, it certainly is. And, you know, what happens if she wins this major? What happens if she wins the United States Open this year at age 15? Hey, that's going to be a lot more pressure for her. It, you know, there's, a, there's an opposite argument to this is that she's probably going to, if she were playing junior tennis, she would be playing 20 tournaments a week or a year. So so what's the difference about playing 20 junior tournaments where you play every day just about or 20 professional tournaments? Where's the difference? Oh, I think there's a, an increased brutality in the professional tournaments. You know, you're playing with players who are, are more physical, they're stronger, they're fitter. Um, the travel schedule is probably a bit heavier. You know, the junior tournaments are probably a little bit more localized. There'll be more localized events you can play in the juniors and in these, uh, you know, in, in your world tour. Uh, I, I just think, you know, you can really burn the body down really quickly. Um, I, I don't mean like within six months. I'm not saying within a year, but I'm saying like accumulation over three, four or five years. I think if you go in too young, you, you're competing on that physical level too often. Um, there becomes a, that increased pressure to pay the bills with uh, with wins or, or, or through sponsors or whatever. And I, I think they just need to take that away until she's a little bit older, introduce that slowly, and, and let her grow into the tour. I know this is going to come as a shock to you, but I don't think 15-year-olds should play on the tour at all. I don't think 16-year-olds should play on the tour at all. I don't think 17-year-olds should play on the tour at all. I think you should be 18 years old and play on the tour. In fact, I don't think that you should play at age 18 unless you're going to win a major. I think you should go to college. I think that there's a lot more to life than just playing tennis. And if it's there at age 18, it's probably going to be there at age 21. The difference is now with a girl like Coco Goff, she's going to have the sponsors. She's got a high profile. She's the girl that the USTA are pushing through. You can see that already. But on the flip side of that, is what you brought up. What if she burns out at age 17? What if she suffers a major injury at age 17 or 16? 
You know, those things aren't easy to overcome. I know we have medic medicine and all these wonderful things and a high level of training. But at the end of the day, Craig, 15-year-olds should be 15-year-olds. They should go out on dates. They should go have fun with their peers and not be in locker rooms with people that are twice their age. Sometimes even in the, on the ladies' side being preyed on by, well, you know, it happens. And we know that it happens because Alexander Stevenson's mother told us that it happens. So it has to be true, right? And plus, I've coached out there a while, and I know. But I don't think they should let them play at all. I want them to develop. I want them to develop as people. What do you think of that? No, you've got a great point. You know, I think anyone on the tour, I mean, even if you go and ask someone like uh, Djokovic or, or, or a Federer or Nadal, they'll, they'll tell you there's not a lot of people they know outside the tour. You know, the people they know are the people on the tour, whether right. they be coaches, players, um, their entourage, uh, media people, whatever. You know, they, they, that's the people they know because that's the people they've been around for the past 10, 15 years. So when they come out of tennis, you know, they're not going to, settle down somewhere and know people they're not going to go back to a, a peer group because they guys don't have one because they haven't had one for the last decade or two <laughs> exactly that's and that's why they go into coaching that's why they go into club ownership and tennis academy ownership because they stay in the world that they're familiar with you know it's with me i stayed in the league i stayed in as a full-time coach until i was 52 right was it 52 or 53 i'm 54 now and i'm still going back every summer I don't know why I do, but I do because it's, you know, it's what I know the best, even though this media thing is turning out pretty good. But at the end of the day, I just don't like what I see out there with these young people. You made a good point with Eugenia Bouchard. You know, this rule was called the Jennifer Capriati rule, and, and it, it's a good rule. Where's Alexandra Stevenson now? She's commentating. Whatever happened to her? Who knows? She disappeared after a couple of hot weeks. That was it. I mean, we don't want to see that with Coco Goff because that girl could be special. You know what we also want to see? A little more maturity from the people that are supporting her. All those t-shirts with the Coco thing on. What's all that about, man? And that's going to get worse if she wins a Grand Slam. Look at how Sloane Stevens acts. She acts so entitled, it's not even funny. And that was before she won a major. What about this Coco kid? You know, she's got great parents. I'll give her that. And I'll give that family that. But come on, really? She. And here's the other. And the last thing I want to say about this is what in the world is going on with with the pushing this kid the way they are? I, I, I get the poster, but people are winning in their late 20s now, in their late in the mid-30s. You've got a 40-year-old playing out there this year. If, if Coco Goff takes a couple seasons and just matures as a, as a human being, think of how much easier it will be for her to handle the pressure when it does come. Because I got to tell you, if she goes far in this tournament, and I think she could, She's never, She's going to see pressure like there is no tomorrow. Well, it's part of the tennis experience, isn't it? You know, <laughs> we kind of watched it a little bit at Wimbledon, and uh, she's back in the mix here. It's. It looks like that's going to be her life, and they're going to keep pushing her. Um, as you said, they've they've chosen her as their uh, the next big thing, their the next prospect. Um, let's see how it goes. Yeah, I hope the best for her because I enjoyed watching her play the other night. But this this women's side was a mess. But I have to tell you, if you're Nick Kyrgios right now, you have to be the happiest guy in the draw because you have a clear shot to the to the semifinal if you play it right. Listen to the seeds that are gone from the men's side. You've got Team gone. He was the fourth seed. 
You've got Sisipas gone, the eighth seed. Fognini gone, the eleven seed. Bautista Agut, the ten seed gone. Korich gone, here's the twelve seed. The nineteenth seed, Pella gone. Taylor Fritz gone. You've got Lucas Puel gone. And now you've got uh, the Canadian kid, the 18th seed, uh, Augur Aliazmi. Is that how you say his name? I can't even pronounce it. Yeah, that's the one. I like him. He's a good kid. He's, he's got potential, that kid. Yeah, he does, but he got bounced. Too. Were you surprised by any of these bouncings in the first round, the second round of the United States Open, Craig? No, not really. I mean, I don't rate Dominic team on anything but clay i think he's a fabulous clay court player but i think he's very average on other surfaces i think he's okay on the hardcore but if you push him he's not like you know he's not even like a david ferrer who had adapted his game to play on the uh on the hard courts, he's not got that solidity about his game yet he might develop it that that might come but yeah a few people thought that he was a surprise um no, not for me. There's, there's a few guys you mentioned there. Lucas Puy, he just lost uh, earlier on today to Dan Evans. That was a little bit of a shock for me, but he was playing really, really poorly when I uh, turned on to watch that game. Um, as you as you say, um, Kyrgios has got, yeah, he's got a pretty interesting draw, hasn't he? A, a lot of the guys in and around his section have dropped out. Um, he potentially faces quite a difficult third round, actually, because he may end up playing against Rublev, who has been a little bit of a surprise package recently. He's had a couple of big wins on the US Open Series, so that Kyrgios-Rublev match, that, that could be you know, real, real entertaining viewing in the next round, should they both get there. Um, but, you know, you make a great point on Kyrgios. It, 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 there is, like, a lot of potential for him to get to quarterfinals at least before he uh, he gets really, really challenged. And, you know, the potential in that bottom half of the jaw, and I'm sure the matchup that everybody would love to see is uh, Arthur Ashe, um, Rafael Nadal against Nick Kyrgios. I oh, mean, that'd that be great. Blockbuster stuff, surely. That's, that's the stuff that's must-see TV. You know, Nick Kyrgios and Rafael Nadal have a long history of not liking each other. Rafael Nadal criticizes him in the media, and Nicky responds by firing tennis balls at his head. And it works that way. You know what I like about Nick is that he's not afraid of those guys. He doesn't give a crap, and he has a great chance. And the thing is, is he's probably going to face some type of suspension for some of his antics this summer. I think that's coming. I think it's going to be probably lengthy, like six months maybe. So getting this one under his belt and winning his first major should be the only thing that he has his mind set on. Because, think, Go ahead. You say six months, but do you think they would risk not having him at the Australian Open? Because like in Australia, he's box office. He brings customers in to watch tennis matches. You reckon they would risk banning him and not having him in the Australian Open? Yeah, I think they would because they're tired of him. Um, he doesn't listen to anybody out there, and why should he? You know, they all criticize him, and they don't. And he knows they don't give a crap about him. They only care about what he can do for them. And in turn, he decides to stick it to them when he really ends up shooting himself in the foot. And to be quite honest, he's running out of feet to shoot. And I think that if he if he wins this major, and I think he should, and I think he's going to actually. I, I that was my long shot, as you remember. If he does that, they don't touch him. But if he has another meltdown at this at this event or has a meltdown at this event, 
besides calling people names, because he does that anyway. Um, and they're used to it, and obviously they don't mind so much. They plus they they get a lot of his money, you know. He's a fine three hundred grand in his career. So you sideline naysayers who've never picked up a tennis racket. How much money did you make this year? He paid more in fines. But at the end of the day, if he wins this major, they don't touch him. If they do, and if he blasts and goes off on somebody, and and that could easily happen too, I think they're going to throw the book at him and make an example out of him and try to. In their way, try to think they're saving him. Well, inevitably, you know, the suspensions in his future, whether it's this year or next year, there will be a blow-up that's just kind of part and parcel of the package you get with Nick Kyrgios. <laughs> um, you know, for everyone's sake, you know, the viewer's sake, um, the, the the paying customer's sake, you want to see Nick Kyrgios. If you go to a Grand Slam, and I'm telling you this as someone who's seen Nick Kyrgios at various Grand Slams, even when he's playing someone who you, you might think he's going to demolish them because he's got that ability, he's got also got that ability to make a match out of anything. You know, um, he, he'll be playing showreel shots against Roger Federer or he'll be uh, completely self destructing against someone you've never even seen before so <laughs> you know you can go first round and see Nick Kyrgios and you can be entertained you can go semi-finals and see Nick Kyrgios and you'll be entertained so you really want to see Nick Kyrgios you know that's what I'm saying if you get a chance in person to see someone uh, go see Nick Kyrgios he's entertaining yes he is I saw him beat a kid left-handed when he was 13 it was hilarious but uh he's like watch this because he felt sorry for the kid because the kid wasn't very good he the kid was 18 <laughs> Yeah, that's Nick. But at the end of the day, I think he's going to win this whole thing because I don't like the way Roger Federer is playing at all. No, I think I touched on it in a little message to you the other night you that uh, he's, uh, I don't know, he looks a little bit labored. Um, you've seen him previous years. He's had a little bit of time off. He's come back. He's looked fresh. He, he breezes through these early round matches. He just uh, wipes his sort of challenges away he's so good over his first serve he's in there he's cutting the points down he's he's keeping everything short i mean if you know at his age it's great strategy he's got the uh he's got the ability to do that he's got the the skill with the racket just to shorten the points and, and take the game away from these guys but uh this is the first time in a while i've seen him and he's he's labored a little bit he's lost the first set in both of his first two matches and He's got quite a good one next because I think he's up against Dan Evans next, and that's a, that's a good matchup with Roger Federer. Dan Evans plays a, a similar kind of style, one-handed backhand, a, a loosely similar in the way that uh, he's not on the level of Roger Federer. He's not never going to be on the level of Roger Federer, but it's a good matchup for Roger, so that, that should get him to the second week at least. But uh, I do worry about Federer going to the second week. He's in that half of the draw with... Uh, a few difficult opponents, and uh, it's going to be a test of Roger Federer, I think. I really do think he's going to be be stretched in that uh, second week, and uh, there could quite possibly be an upset on the cards. He, he, I, I could see him perhaps even going out to maybe even Nishikori, maybe even David Goffin. You know, the, he's going to be a step up in level uh, if, he, if he gets to the fourth round to play someone like Goffin or, or the quarterfinals to play Nishikori. And it's going to be a test for him, given the way he started. Well, you know what? I haven't seen, I can't say the last time I saw Roger Federer miss hit two backhands in a row. I saw him miss hit a whole bunch of them in the, la in the first two rounds of this event. So I, I don't think he's got the same thing going. Maybe he's hurt. 
Maybe he's just tired. He's been doing this a long, long, long time since he was about 15 or 16. Uh, of course, he's had a great team behind him, and he's been a great tennis ambassador and a great champion, maybe the greatest of all time. But at the end of the day, he looks looks shaky. I think, though, if he gets to the second week, and, and there's a big if because this Dan Evans, I, I'm not a big fan of him, but at the end of the day, he he could beat this. He could beat Roger if Roger's not playing. If Ro how do I put this? If Roger's not hitting his backhand as crisply as he used to, and he hasn't in a while, he's susceptible to lose to anybody. And if you go out there with the right attitude, the right attitude being, I don't give a crap how this goes, I can beat this guy, like what Nick Kyrgios would do. He could give Federer a run for his money this weekend. Yeah, I mean, they, they played quite quite recently in Federer. Uh, Federer had a... A couple of tie breaks against Evans, and he won those tie breaks, and that that really set him apart. Um, that's as close as Evans has really come to beating them. I mean, Evans has got a really good record here. Actually, he had a good run in was it 2013, and then he had a good run again um, the year that Stan Wawrinka won it. He actually had match point against Stan Wawrinka um, the year that Wawrinka won the the Open here, which was uh, probably as good as Dan Evans has done. I think that might have been a third or a fourth round match. So uh, he is pretty good form at the US Open. He really likes it here and you can see that his win over Lucas Puy today in four sets. I mean, Evans was just by far the more dominant player on the court which against a guy who's seeded, a guy who uh, reached the Australian Open semi-final this year shows that Evans is actually playing some good stuff. So that could be quite an interesting little match. But let me throw one back at you for a second. How about someone else who looks like they might have picked up an injury? How about Novak Djokovic? Yeah, that's just it. You know, he doesn't look healthy at all. He looks like he's moving with uh, cement shoes, and he's in big trouble. You know, I, this whole gluten-free, carb-free, everything-free diet, I don't think it's good. for the. <laughs> they should eat a little more normal. I guess I should probably shut up. But he doesn't look healthy. He hasn't looked healthy in a couple of years. He looks very small. And I think in this day and age, he needs to be a little bigger. Obviously, he's been winning, but it catches up to you after a while. And he doesn't look right. And that's a good observation you made there because I think he's susceptible to a rough, rough go. I don't see him winning this tournament. I never did. Did I, did I pick him? No, I didn't pick him. But he's in trouble. And I think he plays tonight, right? Um, no, he's tomorrow. I think he played yesterday. He's playing against, um, is it Dennis Kudla who won earlier against Lajovic? But oh, the, the, right. more, the more interesting one is the fourth round because if he gets to the fourth round, there's a potentially might come up against number 23 seed who happens to be Stan Varenka. And that could be huge. Fourth round, you know, second week, open the second week on Ash, Stan Varenka versus Novak Djokovic. Um, you know, Varenka's coming back from an injury. He's getting better every week. Novak Djokovic looks like he's got a shoulder problem um, based upon his win yesterday where he had the trainer on, I think, maybe three, four times looking at that shoulder. If he's not firing that shoulder, um, and it is the shoulder that he's, uh, he's serving with, it's the shoulder he's hitting with, he's struggling with the backhand, he's struggling with the serve. You ain't going to do much struggling with the serve against Varenka because if that ball's not coming over with pace on it, He's going to hit it hard, and he's going to win points for free. And, and that's a fact. And he could be in big trouble. Let me let me let me throw another one at you. Yeah, he's playing Kudla. Kudla Kudla won me some cash today. Kudla was a big uh, underdog, 
Yeah, we're on fire over at uh, Wind Daily, or I should say I am. I'm on a heater, Craig, 12-2 and two so far. That's not bad for this tennis tournament. Um, you know who I'm liking, though? I think could go a little bit in ways. What about Grigor Dimitrov? Look at what he's gotten. He, he got himself a walkover, and, you know, Koresh walked over in that second-round match. He's sitting there pretty, and he's got a nice little matchup with Majorchik, and, and that could be a good match. And then he could get into this fourth-round matchup with Kena Shikori, who I don't think is playing that great either. Uh, so there's a wide-open men's draw here, and I'm liking what I'm seeing from Grigor Dimitrov. You know, he's trying to shake that Sharapova tag, and I think he's going to get there this year maybe. Because if he doesn't, and he's another one, Craig, that they tried to make a poster boy out of. Yeah, he is. He's just another one. Like he's his biggest success thus far, I guess, was when he won the um, ATP World Tour Finals. Um, That's right. The, the Grand Slam thing has not really happened for him. I think everyone saw him as the the next Roger Federer. He's got that one-handed backhand, and he, he he's another one of those guys who comes out and he makes it look so easy when he's winning. You know, all the shots <laughs> look effortless. It looks like he's not having to try. He glides about across. The court, it's so beautiful to watch. You know, it's if, if you want to watch tennis, it's very pleasing on the eye. Then he's certainly one of those guys that plays that style of game. But um, I just sometimes question whether he's got that toughness. You know, you look at a guy like um, who doesn't have that same ability like Dimitrov, man, someone like, say, even Andy Murray or Stan Varenka, and they don't have that natural sort of ability to hit the ball and, and dictate the play the way that Dimitrov does. But you get that extra mileage out of them, you know. The, the, those guys are willing to die to win. They'll run until they, you know, the ball goes dead. They, they'll get balls back that they shouldn't get back. Dimitrov, I just don't see that. You know, it's kind of like he's gonna win on his own terms. He's gonna win playing the way that he wants to play. And if he doesn't win that way, he's not really got that thing in his locker where he can just knuckle down and try and get a few balls back and make the game difficult for his opponent. The, and that might be his downfall against Nishikori because Nishikori will do exactly that to him. Oh, that's a fact. And he will do that. You know, uh, you want to talk about getting distracted. wonder what that was like dating Maria Sharapova. That was uh, distracting for him. And he hasn't been the same since. And uh, I guess, and that's not her fault, obviously, but End of the day, if you want to be a tennis player, the worst thing you can do is get distracted, especially in a high-profile thing off the court. That's never good. You know, we've got some girls' matches, man, this weekend. The ladies are playing. Um, you know, the one I'm looking forward to is Svitolina versus Jastremska. That's going to be a good match between the fifth-seeded Svitolina and the 32nd-seed Jastremska. And they're both from the same. They're both country women, so this could be really good, Craig. They're they're both from yeah. the Ukraine. I like Ukraine people, as you know. And I and I went in on Svitolina as a sort of wild card for me, you someone that did. you know you wouldn't have picked, and That's why I said it. You know, I wanted beaten, to give you your props. She beat Venus in the last round, which is uh, you know beating Venus. I I know people are going to go. Oh, Venus is forty. Venus is finished. But let's be honest. Venus has still got it. Um, <laughs> she sure know, does. You could put Venus against any of these girls in the field, and Venus could uh, topple almost any of these girls. So let's uh, let's not get carried away there. It's a, that was a tough matchup, and you know the, 
there's a mental side to beating Venus Williams at the US Open as well. You know, she's got that big home crowd, that big uh, support that's going to come and cheer her on. Um, as someone who's who's not an American to step on the court with her and beat her in straight sets, that's still a, a huge win. So this this is going to be a good matchup. Um, fifth seed against 32nd seed. Uh, it's getting hot in that bottom half of the jaw. You know, we, we talked about quite a lot of seeded players going out, but in that bottom half of the jaw, there's a lot of seeded players still left. And it's, it's you know, you've got Serena Williams in that half of the jaw, Carolina Pliskova, seeded three, Johanna Conta, um, Madison Keys is in that part of the jaw. You've got so many, and Ash Barry as well. She, she's down the bottom there. You've got so many women packed into this one part of the jaw that it's almost impossible to... Uh, to really call it, you know, Serena Williams would be the easy pick, but uh, wow, you know, anyone could come out of that bottom half of the jaw and get to the final. I'll tell you the one I'm looking forward to, besides watching Maria Sakkari from Greece beat Ash Barty, and I think she's going to because she's playing pretty good. I'm looking forward to the Kenan Keys match. That'll be, that will probably be on Ash, and that'll be a big, big match. Two Americans. Kennan is the one they're trying to push through now because she's of age and she can do that. And then you got Madison Keys, who everybody likes. I mean, it's hard not to like her. She's uh, had success in Grand Slams. So this should be a really good matchup. I'm thinking that will be the good one. Um, Serena, but let's go back to Venus. Ain't she cool? You know what? She's had a lot of health issues, and she still does. And on the nights when she's feeling right, she can take out anybody in the draw, just like you said, not just practically anybody, anybody in the draw. When she's clicking that with her serve, she's tough. But you know what I enjoy most is watching her compete because she actually knows how to compete. And she loves it. And you can see that she loves to compete. She has such a love for the game. Otherwise, why would you be out there? She's got, she's going to be a billionaire. She's going to, Venus Williams, if she wants to, she's going to play till she's 50. Do you think there's been a bit of validation in the last few years over Venus Williams? Because, you know, earlier in her career, a, a lot of people would, uh, and I'm not saying it's an accusation, but they would, they would point to the Williams sisters and say, the only reason they're winning is because they can hit the ball harder than anyone else. And I think, you know, over the last 10 years, Venus Williams has kind of shown that that's not why she's winning. She's winning because she's such a good player tactically. You know, she's she's got it all in her head. She's got the experience. She knows how to move these younger girls around. She knows how to work the ball. Do you think the last 10 years have really just shown that Venus Williams is, is such a class act that she's not one-dimensional as a lot of people used to think and that there's such a great player in there? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. She, she's quiet. She, if anybody's still criticizing her, they just don't know anything about tennis or they just don't like her. You know, because she's done everything she can possibly do in tennis. I don't think she'll ever win another major. I don't even think she thinks she can win another major. But she's a better tennis player than her sister. She's just not a better competitor. Serena's different. Serena just hits 120 miles an hour every ball. But tactically, Serena or Venus is a better player. Um, mentally, you don't ever see Venus have meltdowns like you see Serena have meltdowns. Venus is the whole package. And if she didn't have some of those issues in her health and a little sister in her way, it would be her that would be chasing Grand Slam title number 24 and not her little sister because Venus is something else. But Venus, I hope, like I said, I hope she plays till she's 50. I'm one of her biggest fans, I hope. hope she knows that too. 
I still remember them, Craig, when they played an exhibition. I was playing in some pro-am, and they played an exhibition before us, and I remember these two girls. They were really funny, man. They were precocious little girls, but they had beads, all them beads. Remember them beads? I do, actually. That was uh, all part of style when they first arrived, wasn't it? It was a very... Yeah, but it was a pain in the ass because those beads were all over the court, man. We had to get somebody to come on and clean it up because we were going to break our ass out there. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I think it's so amazing that they were able to succeed at the highest level without hardly touching a racket in junior tennis. You can't seem to do that now. Um, they turned pro, but they didn't just go out there and turn pro. You know what I mean? They were pros when they were 13. They were racking in cash because Richard needed money to fund them. And, and they did all those things. But, yeah, she's the better player than her sister. She's just not the better competitor. Serena's different. Serena's a like a freaking linebacker. Venus is maybe a little too cerebral for her own good, maybe. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, but, you know, it's tennis and sometimes, well, no, not even sometimes. It's always about finding a way to win. You know, if you're not the best tactician, if you're not hitting the ball well, you got to find a way to win. And these best players, and it's not just in the women's side of the jaw, is uh, guys like Novak Djokovic, he found a way to win at Wimbledon against Roger Federer when he was the second best player in every single category. So, you know, Grand Slams, they come when you find a way to win. They sure do. Finding a way to win is important. Staying on the tour is important too. Jensen Brooksby, he's got a choice to make. He can either go to Baylor University and continue his tennis career as a college student, athlete, or he can go pro. Now, he's won two matches or, or one match already. So he's guaranteed if he turns pro at this tournament, I think he's going to lose this match. I don't, I'm don't. i kind of trying to watch it, Craig, while I'm uh, doing this show, which was a bad idea because I keep losing my train of thought because I get excited when I watch some of these kids play. But uh, he has 100000 for sure, and if he wins this match, he's going to get 150000 What does he do? What do you tell this kid, Craig? Does he go pro? Or does he go to college for a year or two? You know, it's a difficult one. And it could almost be decided by this tournament. Um, I, I know that we're almost going full circle here because you brought this into the conversation right at the start of the podcast. Um, this is how we're going to end it. Absolutely. So I, I would say, and by the way, as, as we are speaking, he's actually one set always broken and he's serving at 4-2 in the third. So he's given Vasilashvili 17th seat from Georgia. Um, very steady player, very good player. You know, you don't just come on the tour with a, a, a ranking of 300 and whatever that Brooksby's got and take out a guy who's 17th seed. Um, you know, he took out Thomas Burditch in the first round and we know Burditch has got a few issues, but he's still got quality as well. Um, I think for me, he's got to get to the second week. If he gets to the second week, then he can go pro because I think he can have confidence in the fact that uh, he's going to make a lot of money at this. I think if he loses today or he, he goes out next round, I think he can go to college. He can live a bit. He can work on his, his tennis. I mean, I, I think the college scene is maybe as competitive as it's ever been in a long time. And he can then come back on the tour in three years, four years' time, get a little bit of experience behind them and force his ranking up that way. Um but as I say, I, I just feel like if he gets to the second week, he'll really announce himself. There'll be a lot of pressure appears from 
um, USTA to get him on the tour. And I think he'll make the decision to go on the tour if he makes it to the second week. If he makes it to the second week, he's going to be in the top 100 in the world. That means a lot of wild cards are going to come his way. Now, if he makes it to the second week, he'll have about $250,000 minus taxes, minus everybody's cut. That'll give him about two hundred grand, probably one hundred eighty grand. That's not enough to last three years on the tour. Now, if he has that kind of success at a Grand Slam, it's reasonable to assume that he's going to continue that success. Now, the most important thing, I guess, it would be is: Do you have the cash to fund you when you are going downhill? Because what goes up must come down, and at some point, the book is going to get out on him. People are going to start to figure out what he can and can't do, and they're going to go out there and try to exploit it. That's what happens at the highest level of any sport. So how does he adapt to that? That's the key. I don't know because he hasn't had a period where he wasn't successful, Craig. So that's one of the things that I would say. The second thing I would say is, look, you know, I, okay, I get it. That's 150 grand. That's a lot of, that's a lot of juice for an 18-year-old kid. Mom and dad have spent a lot of money. On his tennis, the USTA has spent a lot of money on his tennis, and who knows who else has spent a lot of money on his tennis. But at the end of the day, if he doesn't have at least a quarter of a million dollars behind him with his kind of talent, then he needs to probably go to college, rack up as many opportunities as he can to play in tournaments and continue to get a world ranking even if you're not a professional. And come out when you're ready. Come out when you can say, I've got this portfolio of, look, I'm number 89 in the world or 100 in the world. I've done this, this, and this. I've won the Rolex College Championship. I've done this. I've done that. I've led my team to a national championship. I, I, I have a four-point average in, in school because this kid is a really good student from what I'm told. Those things are, more, are very attractive to sponsors. Again, though, if he gets to the second week, he's probably going to pick up a few. He might be able to get his coins. But at the end of the day... I don't want to ever tell a kid, don't do it if you've had that kind of success. But then I'd also want to tell them the big picture is this. That success might be sustainable, more, but more than likely it won't be. Will you be able to financially support yourself on the tour for the next three years based on what you just did this weekend? That's your answer. <laughs> there is no answer. But normally I would say go to college, enjoy yourself, have a little fun. Like you said, live a little and you'll live a lot. You'll be the big man on campus. You'll learn how to handle a little bit of celebrity in a confined environment with people who are actually looking out for you. Because on the tour, nobody's going to look out for you except for you. Ask Monica Puig about her last coach. <laughs> he sure looked out for her, didn't he? That's my deal. So I would be really, really, I, I would spend a few weeks and contemplate that because he can pick up his that money at any time throughout the rest of this year. Yeah, no, he can. He can. Um, I just think it's one of those boomer bust moments, isn't it? You know, if you've got a bit of <laughs> success, do you uh, jump on the wagon? Do you go for a uh, boom and hope that you don't go bust? Or do you play the long game and do you uh, take the college route? Um, work your way up, see if you can get yourself in in two to three years' time, you know, put a little bit of a lid on it, um, temper the expectations slightly, and uh, 
produce a backup plan because, you know, a lot of these guys who come out of the tour and go through the juniors and they don't have that college route, they don't have that backup plan. And you, you do see some of these guys arriving via the college system onto the tour and, you, you know, you can list them. John Isner's there. He's done very, very well for himself. Kevin Anderson's done very well for himself. But, uh, you know, you look at some of the other ones that have come out. Uh, one of the British ones, Cameron Norrie, he's, he's struggling. You know, he's dipping in and out of the top 100. He's getting to the Grand Slams. He's struggling to get past the first and second round. Um, but, you know, when he arrived on the tour, he was explosive as well. He, you know, he was going to set the world on fire and it didn't happen. Fortunately, he'd been to college. So he's got the education behind him that if the, uh, he does drop out the top 100, he has to go down the Challenger Tour, then, you know, he, he's got options in life outside of tennis. So, you know, not everyone's going to be a John Isner. They're not going to come there and they're not going to sit in the top 20 and they don't have that monster serve. You know, John Isner, you, you look at him. His serve, his serves money. You know, you look. He's a freak. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you get guys like that, though. You know, you, you get Isner and you have um, Karlovich and guys who are going to have long careers. They might go out in the first round if they draw a bad. You know, you get a bad draw and you, you draw someone who's got a really good return. But uh, the the other possibility is that over the long term, you're you're going to be making quarterfinals and second weeks at Grand Slams because you've got too much power to. For people to handle, you're you're going to win smaller tournaments because you're the guy with the you know the 140 mile an hour serve that you you have such a high percentage on because you're so tall that it's difficult to miss. Um, <laughs> you know you know what I mean. It's like you know if you're in the shoes of someone like isn't it? And Anderson's kind of similar. He's a big guy. He's he's got that asset. So, but when I look at the stature of of this kid, I I, I just think you know he's a good all round player and. You know, if it doesn't happen for him here and he doesn't get to the second week here, then go away. Take some time. Work with your coaches. Um, you're going to get paid to be there. They're, they're, you know, they're, it's a scholarship. They're paying the fees for him to be there. The coaches are going to improve him because that college system's got some excellent coaches. You know, they, sure they, they really do. As you said, they look after these kids. The coaches aren't going to just disappear like they did on Monica Puig. Uh, jump, <laughs> jump to the next player who's going to lose in the first round. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm know, sorry, but I can't, I can't stop laughing about that. It's called yeah, karma, Craig. It, it happens, you know. But th this kid's got good options. That's that's the one thing. He's got good options on the table. And uh, a lot of these kids that come on the tour don't have these options. So uh, let's let's hope he chooses right. Yeah, you want to set yourself up somehow for after tennis. I know there are guys out there, freaks like Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and a couple others who are out there playing until they're 40. But you know what? Most of them don't. And a lot of them don't have any plan B. So what they have to do is try to rack up as much money as they can, and that's pressure, baby. That's too much pressure for you, young fella. Go to college. Unless you win. You know what? If he wins the U.S. Open, take the money. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> but I'd I probably make him go to I, uh, Yeah, go to college. You know, I'm watching Isner, and uh, Struff pumped his fist at 30 all. He was up 5-6. And uh, Isner, with that big serve, took care of business and got him into a tiebreaker. And now he's handling his, packing his lunch. You know, uh, this is so funny, man, to watch. Anyway, Craig, this has been a great show. Next week, we're going to get to talk about my favorite topic, Super Saturday. Oh, wait, they don't do that no more, do they? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, they don't. You know, they've got a roof on that Armstrong court. You know, oh, yeah. The other day? Yeah, you did. You know what? And I got to say this. They say it, it's good for the game to uh, – it's really good for the game, Craig, to have continuous play. But guess what? 
that means that Djokovic gets to sit, or whoever played yesterday under the under the roofs, gets to hang out and play all those times and do all those things while everyone else is watching it rain and they get extra rest. And those are the same people that are making all that money that everyone else is crying about trying to keep. Ain't that something? It is. You know, I, I, just before we go, I mean, I, I did say, say to you yesterday, I was kind of sad what they've done with Armstrong. You know, they've just turned it into another one of those big arenas with a roof on it. And it lost a bit of the character. And I don't know how many times I've walked out on Armstrong. And it's it was one of my favorite places, Armstrong and the old grandstand. One of my favorite spots on the tour. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just a little sad for me to, to watch tennis in this new Armstrong court and this new grandstand court, you know, they're, they're not the same. You know, there's a little bit of history gone there. Yeah, it's awful, dude. It really is. I, I don't like it. I don't like a lot of the things that they've done to tennis, but I guess I have to move into the to the year 2020 next year, Craig. And one of the things we're going to do is do the same thing. We've got, Craig and I have some big plans for next year, but we're not going to tell you just yet. In the meantime, I write for a WinDailyDFS.com. I do a tennis article there every day. It's a premium site. You have to pay to join, but WinDailyDFS.com is where you're going to find me. Craig, you're going to find just about anywhere that they have soccer games, and you can find him on Twitter at CD Sports Media. Did I get it right? You did get it right, finally. And, and I turned on the microphone, or like I turned on the... Uh, I turned on the doggone uh, recorder today, and everything seemed to work. God dang, I was spoiled for a couple of years there, having everybody else do it for me. But for Craig Doyle, I'm Phil Nason. We want to thank you for listening to This Week in Tennis. <laughs>